And here we are at the dawn of a new year. Wow, here we go. Another year ahead. We don't know what it holds, but uh, before we get into that message and thinking about it a whole lot, I want to start with a little bit of a quote. There was a guy attended here a number of years ago. David Hubble was his name. Maybe Some of you might remember him, and some of you probably never met him. He was a businessman. Maybe the name Hubble kind of jumps out at you. You know the Hubble Space Telescope? Well, believe it or not, he was related to that guy, a distant relative, the guy that invented that. And David was not a scientist. As I mentioned, David was a businessman, and he attended here for a few years while he was in town. When he moved away, uh, he had enjoyed his time with us uh, quite a bit, and he left me a little gift, a little plaque that I have up in, uh, in our home, and I looked at the words just this last week, wrote them down because it kind of fit the message that I'm bringing to you this morning. It's a quote from a coach. Some of you would remember the coach, Bobby Knight. Here's the quote. The will to succeed is important, but what is more important is the will to prepare. Most people have the will to win. Few people have the will to prepare to win. Interesting quote. I thought it kind of fit with a New Year's Eve kind of day that we're on because we're in that moment in America, the, the day before a new year begins, where a lot of people on a day like today are thinking and maybe stating the positive changes they intend to see take place in their lives in the days ahead. We call them resolutions, don't we? Yet simply stating a resolution doesn't guarantee anything's going to happen, does it? It's a will, it's a statement of intent that something will happen. In the new year, I'm hopeful that this will change. I'm going to make this happen in the new year. But it's a statement. It's a, it's a hope. I could say to my pooch at the stroke of midnight tonight, Hey, Duke, happy new year. But that doesn't mean anything to him, not only because he doesn't know English and speak, but unless I'm willing to follow through and do something substantive in the next 12 months to make it a happier new year for him, my words are pretty empty. Nothing really is affected by those words. It's just a statement, happy new year. It's just words, right? So I like that little quote from Bobby Knight, the will to succeed is important, but what is more important is the will to prepare to succeed. It's a, it's a precedent. It's a preparing thing. What will we do to see that that happens? How will we really get ready to win? How will we get to the goal that we really do desire? I think we're sincere in that, right? Like when people get married, right, they, they, they have a, there's a piece of the ceremony called the Declaration of Intent that we come to. Before we get to the vows, the Declaration of Intent is not legally binding. There's a public audience, and the, the couple says they declare their intent to become husband and wife, but it's not, publicly, it's not legally binding at that point. They're declaring their intention to become husband and wife. And, and in so doing, they're, they're making it clear that they want to become married. And they're on the record at that point of declaring their intent. When they get to the vow point, now that's legally binding. And they're declaring really before two audiences, before heaven and earth, that they're willing to commit to that to the death. That's what they're saying. That's what they're committing to, that they're willing to win at this to the point of it costing them their life. That's another ball game there. That's a whole other level. 
they're willing to pay a price for it, they're saying. They're willing to make some sacrifices that are going to be inherent with that. And so good intentions are good, right? They're good intentions, but they always need a strong foundation if we're going to achieve them. They need a good foundation. When we meet with, excuse me, it's just a moment, third service, I'm starting to get a little dry, but uh, when we meet with a young couple preparing for marriage, we, we like to use an analogy of a, of a foundation of a home. Now, I don't know much about building, but I know that concrete's a part of a lot of homes as a foundation, whether it's a, if it's a full basement, you've got, a, for many homes, a concrete base. And if it's just a concrete slab, if there's no basement, you still have a, a concrete slab. And when you pour that concrete, of course, it's liquid, but it quickly sets up into rock-hard cement. And I like to tell a young couple that in your first months of marriage, as you're learning to relate to one another and habits form and who's going to do which tasks, you're, you're kind of running around pouring cement into the forms. You're deciding who has what tasks and, 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 and such. You're, in effect, you're even finding out where's the power at in different areas. Who's got authority to do this and that and how do you share it and all that. I said, be careful that you're not sloppy with the, with the concrete, it, with sharing things and dividing things and being partners, because if you pour the concrete too thin in one area, it's not very strong. If it's too thick in one area, that's too much. Whatever you build is what you build, and, and once it sets up, it hardens, right? And then you're going to build something on top of that. Your, your marriage really builds on the foundation that is formed early. And I said, imagine a house with a good foundation. If a foundation is poured properly uh, for a home, it will outlast the structure on top of it. A good concrete foundation will last 100 years, easy. But a poor one, a poor foundation will crack and, and, and the house on top of it will teeter and will, will not outlast its foundation. They'll, they'll all come down. So I said, if, if you don't lay a good foundation, you'll be back here in a few years and we'll have to go back and look at the foundation and it's going to be a lot of work, and we have to get out the, the uh, machinery to break up foundation. It's really tough. In fact, you might need a specialist because I'm not one of those, and it's going to be painful and a lot of work for you. So let's look hard at how, you, how you're going to start out pouring the concrete here, and then we go into that. and Some ideas for how they might start. It's interesting. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about houses and foundations. Now, Jesus was a carpenter. Was he saying in Matthew 7, here's how you build a house? No, he wasn't talking about that. But if you turn to Matthew 7, and I've listed a lot of the verses for you on part of your outline, so I guess I'm making it easy for you to cheat today, but you can look at Matthew chapter 7. At the end of Matthew 7, he's summarizing his, his great message that we call the Sermon on the Mount. If you look at the whole of Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, three chapters of Matthew's gospel, you have the seminal teaching of, of Christ's message, if you will, his uh, Magna Carta, if you will. It's three chapters of the teaching of Jesus that he gave on the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee as he sat in that natural amphitheater uh, up on the Mount of Beatitudes, and he sat on the hillside, and Matthew 5, 1 and 2, it says he sat down, he opened his mouth, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are they that mourn, Blessed are those who are in need of comfort. And he goes through the Beatitudes. Now we move way through the whole sermon to chapter 7 towards the end. And we read these words about foundations. 
foundations, starting in chapter 7, verses 24 to 25. And he's summarizing everything he said. He says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, notice does them, going beyond intent, not just listens, not just hears, and says, oh, that was interesting, but does them, applies them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. We would say cement, <laughs> concrete. But in first century Israel, rock is a foundation that's solid. It would be today, right? And then he talks about, I'm going to call this a storm warning. Because he's not talking, these are metaphors. He says, the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat on that house. He wasn't talking about the weather channel, what he saw on the weather channel that morning. <laughs> he's talking about life's storms. He says, storms will come to all of us, and they will test us, and they're going to reveal the foundations of our lives and what we've built our lives on. I'm going to liken, he says, the person who has listened to what I've said and does those things, I'm going to liken him to a wise person who built his house on rock. And the rain descends and the floods come and the winds blow and they beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. And then you see the contrast he sets up. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the same tests come, right? To everybody, everybody gets tested in life. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. Now God, I think, is non-discriminatory. I think he's saying whether you're a pagan or whether you're a follower of God, whether you're a believer, whether you're an atheist, it doesn't matter. If, even if you're a Christ follower, God doesn't pamper his children. He's saying storms are coming. Everybody gets different storms in life, various storms. We live in a sinful, fallen world, and storms are coming. Some people will stand and some will fall. But he gives us the opportunity to build on rock so we can stand. We get to choose to do that, or we can say, now I want to build on sand. Well, let's get into some examples. What are we, what are we talking about here? Well, how do we build on? What are the different things we build on? What are the foundations? Well, the rest of the Bible gives us examples, so... This isn't left to, to our imagination, really. Some people build lives on possessions. Jesus had a lot to say about that in his teaching. So we're not left to our, I guess, our thoughts on, on what he's talking about. One false foundation, but one that's easy to build on, is this idea that the one with the most toys at the end of the, the days of life wins. You don't have to look too hard to find that in Western culture, right? I, I own, therefore I am. Uh, I am the sum of my belongings. And yet Jesus said the opposite. He said, beware of covetousness. A man's life, I'm going to give it to you in the King James because that's where I first memorized it. Beware of covetousness. A man's life consisteth, consisteth not in the abundance of what he possesseth. I like that. It's kind of hard to say it because I memorized it long ago. A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of what he possesseth. Do you believe that? Sometimes we're tempted not to. Maybe I'm tempted not to believe that. Are you sure that's true, Jesus? But I feel good when I possess. I don't know if I buy it. I like to possess. I feel good when I have things. Yet, I don't feel good for long. I need more things. They don't satisfy. I, I think I always need more. I need the, ne the next thing, right? Isn't that kind of true? 
There's an insatiability about things that, if I'm honest, I feel when I possess. There's nothing wrong with things, unless things are starting to have us. And that's sometimes that line is hard to distinguish where that is. But we've got to be careful with that. that. That's a false foundation if that's what we're living for, right? You ever seen a, uh, a hearse towing a U-Haul? I've never seen that. It's just a simple, maybe not very good joke. I've been in a lot of hearses. We never tow a U-Haul because we never need it. Um, Bible says we brought nothing into this world and we'll take nothing out. Naked we come into the world, naked we'll go out. Um, some people build their lives on passions. Now we have God-given passions, so the Bible doesn't decry that. But they aren't to be what we are about. Some people build their lives on the satisfaction of desires, and so I could build a message on what, what is that. Well, it could be hedonism, it could be an Epicurean kind of a focus where we're just living for the thrill of, of, of the moment, but we're built for more than that. Some people build their lives on position, the next job, the next office they hold. Can you see the problem with that? If a person is just focused on the next promotion, the next rung up the ladder, nothing wrong with ambition per se, but what happens when, a, you, know, when you reach retirement, you don't have that job title anymore, or when, you, when you're an elected official and you lose an election and you don't get that position, where's your identity then? If it was all wrapped up in that, who am I now? If my identity was all wrapped up in that, I got nothing. Not a great place to put one's foundation. So that's pretty dangerous. And then there are those who will build their lives on what is eternal. So Jesus is concluding, excuse me, his message with a storm warning, saying, build your lives on that which is eternal. My words, he says, and my truth. And really a relationship with him, not just his words. You know, we can, we can stick a Bible in our pocket and say, I'm building my life on this, but... I want to be careful with that too. I mean, it is his word, but it's his word. It, it, it points to him. So I don't want to just give lip service to a book as much as I believe in this book is his book, but I want to point, the book points to him. So don't divorce the book from him. It's a relationship with him, but don't divorce the book from him. If you know what I mean, don't divorce Jesus from the book either because it's his book. They go together. It's his word. We need, we need to hold them together. So... What you build with matters because whether you are a Christian or an atheist, the foundations of your life will be tested. This is just review at this point, but I'll get into some specifics here as we move along here in our slides. What you build with matters. The foundations are tested. And Jesus says, whoever hears his sayings and does them is likened to a wise person. Everyone who hears his sayings and doesn't do them will be like a foolish person. Now, let me give you a, a neat biblical observation. I, think it's, I never saw this until just recently in my studies this last week. I, I find it helpful. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, even a little familiar, you know that often you hear the prophets use the words, thus saith the Lord. Did you know that you'll find, you'll bump into that little fragment about 3,000 times? That's a lot. Why did they say that? Because the authority of God's message didn't lie with them, right? They were human, fallen human beings like you and me, but who were open to God, obviously. They were vessels of, of God's choosing to be mouthpieces, and they didn't have an authority that, again, came from within them. 
They said, thus saith the Lord. So hear, Israel, what God has put on my heart to tell you. Let's all hear this. This is a message from God. Thus saith the Lord, and then they'd give the oracle. They'd give the message, and they'd write it down, or a scribe would write it down. About 3,000 times you, you find that. Fast forward to the New Testament. Look at the words of Christ throughout the New Testament. Look at the Sermon on the Mount, for example. The red letters, the words of Jesus. Not once does he say, thus saith the Lord. Why is that? Because he is the Lord. He doesn't need to say, oh, I'm saying this on the authority of the king. Hear it. He's saying, I am the king. Well, please let that hit your heart. This has weight. Don't throw his words behind you, in other words. Don't say, oh, yeah, he said that. Okay, whatever. Uh-uh. Please don't, don't, don't disregard that. That's heavy stuff. If it was important what God said through a prophet, if that wasn't to be thrown away, and yet it was often by Israel to, to their peril, how paramount is it that we hear God's word through his son? Well, we're going to see, I think, in the message today, it's obviously all the more important. He said that floods are going to come and tests are going to come, and we're going to, he said, they're going to show what you, what you built, what, what your foundation's really built of. And, and so, <clears throat> hold on, you know, lest, lest we kid ourselves, there will be, will be tests in the new year. And if, if I stood here today and gave you a pie-in-the-sky sermon and said, you know what, and if I looked you in the face and said, you're, you're 2018, God's put this on my heart last night, you are going to have, Robert, you're going to have the greatest year next year. You're not going to have a bad day next year. God's going to just bless you, and it's going to be a great year. And I don't think you're going to have one bad day. If I ever said that to Robert or any one of you, please, six strong people here, pick me up and throw me in the dumpster over there, okay? Because I'd be lying. And, and don't say that to me either, or I'll help, help somebody take you over to the dumpster, okay? We don't want to do that because that's not, that's not what, what God's word says to us, and God doesn't lie to us. Jesus doesn't hide the truth from us. He says to his first followers, he says, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace, Irene. In the world you will have tribulation. He doesn't hide the truth from us. You know? But he says, but be of good cheer. I've overcome it. So whatever trouble comes in the new year, we shouldn't just be shocked, but we can be, we can be aware that we're not alone in it. Because Jesus also said, to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He will be with you. He will be with me in whatever comes in the new year. But we're not going to be immune from difficulties, even if we're committed to him. In fact, that's going to bring some certain challenges. To live for Jesus is countercultural if we're really committed to that. So we're going to be inviting some, some, some challenges. But let's look at what are some of the storms Here's probably one of the biggest ones. I'm going to keep it at the top. The fury of a great temptation. Will that ever leave us? For some of us, it's probably the biggest one of every day. Uh, sexual temptation. Whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're young, whether you're old, that's probably one of the heaviest hitters of all time for human beings. Sexual temptation. The battle for purity. Difficult, difficult, difficult. Not everybody probably has the greatest struggle with that, but many people do. And we can be honest about it. And the Bible's honest about it. Jesus is honest about it. And, and for someone here today, you just probably are on the edge of the cliff right now. You need to start making a decision right now. What are you going to do with that little blossoming 
potentially blossoming office romance right now. Maybe it's time to talk turkey with your spouse and say, you know what, somebody's kind of on my radar over here, or I think I'm on somebody's radar. Maybe you need to have a, a, an honest heart-to-heart about that with somebody. Or what's going, you know, just, just talk turkey with, with people. Be honest, be real. That takes a lot of the, the, the stress out of it for you. Uh, be real with this stuff. We, you know, we're only as sick as our secrets. But that's just a, a battle that can be won, but it's, it's a real one, and we've got to be real about it. And there's ways to, to move forward and, and progress, but we've got we've to realize that it's not one with, with just good intentions. And we don't win that without Christ's help. But his help is real, and it's powerful. Great personal loss. That might be your challenge in the new year. Maybe it's a job, it'll be a job loss, a financial reversal. Uh, sickness. Maybe it's a loss of health. Maybe it's for a friend's loss of health. And that's a storm in your life. It could be a spouse's loss of health. It could be a fear of, of, of death, not yours. Maybe somebody else's, and that's a great form of anxiety in your life. Maybe you look at the, the next one with some kind of question mark. Prosperity? How could that be a storm? Maybe you wonder, is that a misprint? You know, it might seem odd. It's not a misprint. It's possible for prosperity to ruin people. It doesn't have to, but it can. Look at the stories of a number of people who've won the lottery. For some people, it's been the end. It has completely ruined them. It has destroyed, in some cases, it's just destroyed families. Because money in itself isn't evil, but the love of it is. 1 Timothy 6.10. And Jesus said in Matthew 6.24 that we cannot serve two masters. We can't serve God and money. So if we have a lot of money, that in itself isn't a curse but we better be wise because if we're not careful, we will serve it more than God. Some people can serve God well with it and they can handle it. For many people, they cannot and it ruins them and it becomes their God and it becomes all, all important and it's all they really want to serve and God just gets lip service, if that. And so scripture is very clear about that. And then there's the final test that will really reveal the foundation that we built in this life. And that is the judgment bar of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10, the Apostle Paul said, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, each one to give account for the life lived in our body and for what we did in the body, whether good or bad. And so Christ will reveal what we've built upon, the foundation of, of salvation in our life. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2 and 3, no other foundation can any man lay than that which was laid, which is Jesus Christ. So every Christian has that foundation of Jesus Christ. But Paul goes on to say, let us be careful what we build upon that foundation. He said if we use wood, hay, or stubble, he said it will be tested by fire. He said let a man be careful what he builds with. He said if it's combustible things such as wood, hay, or stubble, it will be tested by fire and it will be burned up. What does that mean in the real world? It means, for me, it means this. I, I believe it means this. If I, if I build up on my, my, the foundation of Christ in my life, if I build on that life a lot of false things that have nothing to do with Jesus Christ, but have everything just to do with my life, with, with the flesh, if you will, with my own heart or motives or selfishness, that will be revealed before the king on that day that I stand before him and give account, and it'll be burned up by fire. And God will say, that's chaff. Poof, it's gone. There's no reward for that. I'll suffer loss for that. There'll be nothing, nothing to show for the king, to the king for that. 
But the same passage of scripture goes on to say that if I build upon the foundation of Jesus things that have benefit to the kingdom in this life and, and for eternity, you know, then those fruit, fruit for Jesus, those things will actually produce a reward for him. They'll, 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 be, they'll be positive. Those things will actually have a, not a merit to the salvation because Jesus gave me that. I don't get anything that he hasn't given me. But there's a reward for what we do for Jesus. 1 Corinthians 3.8, we shall each receive a reward for what we've done, for the labor we've done. Think of that. So God's in the reward business. Whatever you think of that, I don't know. But it's right there in the scriptures. I'm not going to unpack it. I don't even know what that means entirely, if I'm honest. But it's there. Something. It means something, 1 Corinthians 3.8. But we will give account for the life we've lived in the body and for whatever kind of foundation that we built. So that accountability is there. Let me just zip through these last, these are just quick, quick takeaways. Here's the question as you go into a new year. What counsel will you listen to ultimately in your life? We all need counsel. We need input to build our life on something. It'll be your counsel. You'll listen to yourself. You'll listen to others. I hope ultimately you'll listen to the king's counsel in concert with others that are following the king. Isaiah 9.6 calls Christ our wonderful counselor. That's one of the names of Jesus. And in the passage that we read from today and in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us all this instruction and he said, hear these words. If you do, you're wise. And your house is going to stand. When the storms of life come, your foundation will be ready for it. Listen to the wonderful counselor in your life. His teaching was given to him by the Father. He says, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. This is important. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God. So there's an element of trust here and obedience that's involved. He doesn't say anyone who who debates with my teaching and says, well, I don't know if I feel like that today. I don't know if I'm going to do this. No. We we can play games with, with the word. We can play games and say, oh, Oh, maybe I'll do your your word today or listen to it. He says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God, when we're real with God's word, we say, Lord, I'm going to, by your help, I'm going to embrace this. I'm going to, give me grace to embrace this, to take it into my heart. I really want to obey it. I want to learn it. He knows your heart. He knows mine. We can't, we can't kid him. And if we're real, as we open up the book of God, we're real. We really do want to let it speak to us. It's going to do that. He'll see that and he'll open it up. If I'm not real when I open up his book, it's not going to open up to me. And it's just kind of a a game, right? But if I'm real with him, he's real with me. And he opens it up to me and he confirms it and I go, whoa, this is powerful. This is starting to get into my heart. And it's powerful. And that's what he's saying. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God. He'll confirm it. And in your heart, he'll confirm its power, its authority. And so on we go. Christ's teaching will stand forever. I can read some self-help books today. I'm not suggesting I can't gain anything from them because all truth is God's truth. So if somebody in a self-help book gets something of some little pearl of wisdom that is true, he ultimately got that by God's general grace. But I can really focus my, my primary study. I think it's primarily to focus on, my study should be primarily focused on what is God saying clearly to me through his revealed word. Because I know that's going to stand forever. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. 
And so I don't want to look at tertiary readings as much as I want to look at the book that Jesus has given me. And his teaching will someday judge its hearers. The one who rejects me does not receive, who does not receive my words. I don't have that spelled correctly. The one who rejects me does not receive, who does not receive my words has a judge. He says, that judge is my word. He says, my very word will judge that person. That's because it's, because it's God's word. So the word is that important to us, friends. His word. Eternal destinies are decided by what people will do with Jesus and what he does with them. He is our king. He's your king. He's my king. Let us determine to follow him together in the new year and to build our lives, to build our lives on him. When he got done with this message in Matthew 7, people were amazed. They were amazed. He taught as as one who had authority, and they just said, whoa. Let's heed what he says. Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to know our creator through your son. There's so much we don't know, but we know enough, Lord. Most of us today would know more than enough to start a fresh step with you today of trust and of obedience. And uh, thank you, God, for the family of God, and I thank you for this church. I thank you for the hope of friendships and support and, uh, and just, just being your faithfulness in this last year. We're here today because of your faithfulness. You're, we're, we're here because of your mercy and your hope. And Help us to go from this moment into just new, new steps of joy and openings of obedience and, and growth with you. By your help, we need you. We so need you. And help me to know how I can help anyone here with any new steps that they are ready to take for you. If it's just someone to listen to them, if it's somebody to pray with them, show me what I might do and help us to help each other. Thank you so much for every soul in this room. Jesus, you came for everyone here and for everyone beyond this room. Help us today to just be the church beyond these walls and to to just serve everyone that we might see now. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Blessings as you go. Thanks so much for coming out on a cold day.